Welcome to this episode of Revolution and Ideology. I'm Nick. I'm Jared. This episode, we're exploring uh, essentially human nature, but in kind of an interesting way. We've done many episodes on human nature uh, where we've discussed like Hobbes, Locke, and Rousseau, and really uh, we've talked a lot about anarchism and its connection to human nature and the belief there and some on like post-structuralism and so forth. Um, but today we're going to talk about essentially what human beings would do in the quote-unquote state of nature. And I'm going to talk about that and what that is um, in a second. But it's important for us to understand that so many people's view of human nature is that humans are instinctually greedy, selfish, murderous, etc. Thank you, original sin, Abrahamic faiths. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for that. And it's really important for us to understand the ramifications this has in so many different aspects of our lives, ranging from the way we behave and the way we treat others and the way that we believe and act politically and so forth. But I must stress that if this is a foundational understanding of human nature, then it excuses so many atrocious, in my opinion, behaviors that people commit, whether that's militaries or governments or individuals uh, against each other, etc. If it's true, right, if this belief is true that human beings are naturally greedy and selfish, then it excuses any action that I would do to also function in that way, right? I must be selfish and I must look out for myself and put myself above all others because they are doing the same thing and like so forth. Do you have anything to add at that point? Uh, No, I think we're going to get into the depth of the fact that uh, we come from the point of departure, at least I, I guess I'll speak for myself, that this is a heavily socialized mentality. That's why I brought up like the Abrahamic religions. They're not the only ones clearly guilty of this. Uh, They're a major, major forerunner of it for Western civilization. But people were doing this before. Mythologies of ancient cultures. I mean, like the storytellers, Mm. all of this is socialized into us. We have clear and president, clear and president evidence that anthropologists and archaeologists have presented to us over and over again that humans weren't always this way. Right. We can also look at like just other organisms existing in their natural state. And even though oftentimes we view them through our very gross lens, uh, lens of everything's in competition, and everything's a hierarchy and there, it's not a web. It's a it's a pyramid and there's uh, apex predators. And like that's not actually how the natural world functions. It's a complex right. reci- reciprocal natural democracy, as we've mentioned in other videos um, in which, yes, sometimes bad, like things eat other things that happens. But it's not the way we 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 view it to rationalize our own horrific behavior like everything from like Holocaust to world wars to uh, ethnic cleansing campaign none of that none of that is seen anywhere else in in basically any other species to the the best of my knowledge I mean maybe somebody can cite some sort of obscure thing like a chimpanzee war way back in the day that they watched Mm -hmm. everyone loves to cite that one but like no that is not the way things always work look for an episode in the future we're going to do one on Peter Kropotkin's On Mutual Aid Uh, which is right in this sphere. But I want to talk about specifically uh, philosophy and fiction and how it has led to us having, I say us, like the proverbial us, um, having this belief in human nature. And the first person I want to discuss is Thomas Hobbes. And we've done an entire episode on Thomas Hobbes and his beliefs on human nature. So check that out. I'm just going to uh, really briefly here. But 
He outlines his views on human nature in his most famous work by far, uh, Leviathan, in 1651. And he basically depicts the state of nature as, quote unquote, the war of all against all, right? It's just all out warfare, individual warfare of individuals fighting uh, for their survival, right? Um, so like I said, we have a whole episode where uh, we do Hobbes, Locke, Rousseau. It's actually two episodes together. Um, but what I want to say is, and the critique that we talk about in that episode is that Hobbes, it's just philosophy. And I think it's oftentimes really easy for us to forget that because we now live in an era where anthropology is a thing. But there is absolutely nothing about Hobbes' philosophy that is evidence-based or scientific in any way. He's merely pontificating about how human beings could potentially behave. Through his own embarrassingly narrow window of his own experience growing up in a Western society that at that point is already just inundated with all of these poor behaviors. No, exactly. Or moral and ethical outlooks, yes. 100%. Anthropology didn't exist at the time, nor had Hobbes himself actually observed in the quote-unquote wild, right, uh, any indigenous peoples at all. Yeah. He had no direct experience witnessing what humans in the quote-unquote state of nature looked like and how they behaved politically and socially and so forth. I, there's just no truth to what he says, other than that it's interesting thought experiments, right? That's probably how we could sum up Hobbes' Leviathan. It's interesting to think about, but it's not grounded in reality or empirical evidence or of any kind. Right. right. Yet, this does not stop many, if not most, Westerners uh, to taking Hobbes' view of human nature as fact, and they organize their political and social beliefs and behaviors around this quote-unquote truth that human beings are greedy and selfish, and that without, I mean, Hobbes' Leviathan, right, is talking about government, the commonwealth. Without the commonwealth, without a government to protect us from each other, essentially it would be all-out chaos. Well, Hobbes' ideas are not based on fact of any kind. Right. right? Even our buddy Thomas Paine, who we really like on this channel, and we, we, we made a mostly celebratory episode of him, even at the beginning of his treatise, Common Sense, basically says, like, there at least needs to be some sort of, of, of of, of government to protect us from our wickedness. I'm misquoting mm -hmm. it here because I don't have it in front of me, but essentially like that's part of the preface. Like, look, I don't want it. I don't think... I'm not a fan of it, but like we need something, right? Mm -hmm. it might, he goes on to say why it's not England's, but yes, like that's... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. That's the philosophy part. That's it. A short on there. Uh, we can go on forever and we actually have in our other episode, so check that one out. Um, the next I want to bring up is fiction. And we're going to talk about The Lord of the Flies... Hobbes is not the only person that's at fault for this selfish view of human nature being ingrained into each and every one of us in the West, because in addition to Hobbes and many other philosophers, so many works of fiction have been written as well, and probably the most prominent one is William Golding's Nobel Prize winning 1954 novel, The Lord of the Flies. We don't even need to go into detail uh, on the plot of this book because it's such an ingrained part of the Western ethos that every single person listening to this podcast, if you went to uh, grade school 
in the West, you have read this book, or at least we're supposed to read it. I know that I did for sure, right? We read it, we do book reports on it, uh, presentations and character analyses and like, what is the, the, the plot, etc. right? This is a key part of the curriculum in the West is this British novel. Um, and really, really short, some British boys in this story are stranded on an island and essentially chaos kind of ensues. Uh, by the time they're rescued, three of them have died and the others have descended into, I guess, what could be described as like extreme tribalism. They're basically, quote unquote, uh, savages at that time. They're warring with each other uh, and, and so forth. Um, do you have anything to add on that? Well, in the counterexample, I think, honestly, socialization matters. These are British mm -hmm. boys, and the real-life example are not Western. No, 100%. Yep, and that's what we're about to get to. Um, in fact, Golding, the author of Lord of the Flies, is quoting, quoted as saying that he wrote the book to depict how children would actually behave if they were stranded on an island. Again, like just an author, not an anthropologist, not even a philosopher, just a dude that it, wanted to ignoring his own countryman's example with like Shackleton and his men being stranded on what was that the island Elephant mm -hmm. Island or whatever they yeah, were and it's it, a like, perfect example yeah that, that that those are real that's a real life yeah. British example right of Ernest Shackleton and trying to trek across and, and Antarctica like going back and rescuing them yeah, and, yeah. Um, and, God, and, I forgot and what, about that whole and, story yeah and the community right they able the, the community whatever the survival community mm -hmm. they formed more or less on that island while they were waiting for him yeah yeah yeah. Anyway, I forgot about that. that I forgot about Shackleton. That's yeah. an excellent example. But the example, the whole reason we're doing this whole episode is because we want to talk about another real world example that flies in the face of both Hobbes and Golding and the Lord of the Flies and Leviathan and etc. Basically, it is just not true. Neither Hobbes' accounts that are purely invented, nor Golding's fictional account that has just, I mean, permeated all through the Western ethos of what human beings are like, uh, being greedy and selfish and savage and so forth. Uh, it's just not true. We actually have empirical evidence uh, of what this looks like. In 1966, six teenage boys were stranded on an island off the coast of Australia. They were in a school. I mean, they're just school-age kids. They're all teenagers. I think the ranges of their ages were 13 to 16 years old, and they were bored out of their mind at school. And so they decide that they're going to steal a small fishing boat and head off in the ocean. And so they get some provisions together, and they do this in the middle of the night, and they leave on this small vessel. I don't even like using the word vessel because it's basically like, think of it like a rowboat or something. <laughs> um, and they get stranded. Uh, I think they run up on some, a coral reef and one of them ends up swimming to, uh, they see an island, one of them ends up swimming to the island, uh, barely makes it, and then the others follow suit. And so all of these six boys uh, survive that part of the journey and they end up on an island. Now, this isn't so far so so. Uh, disconnected so far from the beginning of Lord of the Flies, except I think there's an airline crash and how they end up on the island. But anyways, but things go incredibly differently here. These boys, real life now, this is not fiction, they end up working together and collaborating and they end up surviving. Um, in fact, at one point, one of the boys falls off a cliff and breaks his leg and the other boys go and they make their way down the cliff and they collectively rescue him, set his leg, and then assume his duties and survive. Um, uh, just here's an account. They were eventually found by a ship captain. Isn't that like um, what we call, that's welfare, right? Yeah, totally. They had a welfare state on this <laughs> island. <laughs> so they end up getting rescued. This uh, healthcare ship program, welfare, it, socialists. 
<laughs> yeah, the ship captain ends up seeing them, and he, uh, he at least gets close enough to the island for them to see uh, him. And this is what he said about how they had operated on the island. Uh, he's, I don't have his name here. I should have wrote it down. But anyways, um, there are a bunch of articles about this that we'll link uh, clearly in the sh- description. He said, the boys had set up a small commune with food, uh, a food garden, hollowed out tree trunks to store rainwater, a gymnasium with curious weights, a badminton court, chicken pens, and a permanent fire, all from handiwork and old knife blade and much determination. Can I just say I love the badminton court? Yeah, the, yeah exactly. I just love That's it. like the most Australian slash British thing you could possibly do. <laughs> Although I want to stress these boys weren't um, Australian no. proper. They were from the surrounding islands. Um, so uh, let's contrast this with Hobbes's like war of all against all and uh, Golding's like Lord of the Flies where these like British boys end up descending into tribes and warring with each other with their like handcrafted weapons where three of them die uh, one in a fire one gets like a rock rolled on them i can't remember how the second person dies in the story um they had a small commune with a food garden hollowed out tree trunks to store rainwater a gymnasium with curious weights that they had built a badminton court chicken pins and a permanent fire all from the handiwork an old knife blade and much determination the fire itself is actually interesting because in lord of the flies the book they end up fighting over the fire uh, um, intensely. And the accounts here of this is that the boys actually collaborated to keep the fire going. So it would be tended to 24 hours a day uh, in shifts and they kept it going the entire time that they were there, which I haven't given yet. They survived for 15 months on this island. So over a year and each and every one of them survived. And not only did they survive, they actually thrived on the island now. To their benefit, the island was rich in resources. So like it mentioned, there were chickens, they found bananas. So there were fish, right, obviously, clearly. So there were resources there for them to survive, um, which I know right now, after I just said that, the comments on YouTube are going to be like, well, it was just because there were resources. If it was scarce resources, they would have murdered each other and ate the flesh, right? Like, it's just ridiculous. But like, get over it, seriously. Like, it's over. You're like dystopian <laughs> view of human nature where like it's greedy and fighting and we need guns and like uh, like it's over everything's the walking the evidence dead. Everything's is, the walking is clear over the past decades anthropology has revealed it science has revealed it this real world example of these boys stranded on this island have revealed that Hobbes and Lord of the Flies and like all of this socialization as Jared said that we've gone to gone through our entire lives all of the myths that we've been told to make us believe that human beings are selfish by nature it just does not play out in the real world the empirical evidence just 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 does not support that perspective well and even when we talk about other like tragedies that we see like in the mainstream media recently like i you know I, i i can pick a couple off the top of my head right here when we when the news or the media cover it they only cover the negative aspects mm-hmm. right like if there was a looting or something along those lines like they'll cover that just to kind of like reify that exactly. via our ethically constitutive narratives to rationalize whatever it is they're trying to rationalize the lack of aid the people are receiving or the fact that there are police there doing more policing than actually helping and saving lives mm-hmm. those types of things right like most recently that comes to mind like Hurricane Harvey what did we see like we, we know that the response wasn't good we know that it didn't work out very well but we know like when you actually talk to the people that 
were there, it didn't matter, like cross-cultural, cross-gender, cross-racial lines. People were coming together to like survive this horrific incident in Houston. We also know the same thing in New Orleans, but what did the media want to focus on in New Orleans? Mm -hmm. They wanted to focus on mainly the primary fact that there was some looting taking place, right? Right. Like that's it. They don't want to focus on the fact that these people were forced to come together and not even receiving proper aid, of course, from their government. We know that. That was one of the biggest like FEMA drops in human history. Yeah, so the government fails. So yeah, yeah. Talking about Hobbes' Commonwealth, right? The Commonwealth failed. Yeah, and the people came and the people came together, right? Except, and there's also obviously stories of people in like rival wards, of course, not coming to help and keeping Mm -hmm. them from like at gunpoint from like survivors crossing the bridge and stuff. But that's like reification of the fact, like this is mine. Those are people raised in that socialization, rather than help, right? Their fellow Louisianians or uh, NOLA uh, residents or whatever. They thought, well, wow, we need to protect ourselves from what little looting we saw in the media. Mm -hmm. So at gunpoint, you can't cross into our war. Like like you alluded to, right? It's embarrassing. It's a result of their socialization into this mindset that humans are greedy, right? Which is, like, I don't want this to be a long episode. We did this intentionally to be short, but just as one example of how real world evidence does not support the idea that human beings are just greedy by nature. But that belief has such disastrous ramifications for the way that we operate in the Western world and the way that we treat each other and view our governments and act politically and socially. And we want to be clear, like we're talking like innately, inherently, like we understand that there is like there are bad people in the Mm -hmm. world. Our argument is that that is through contextual socialization. Well, yeah, right. Both no I- people are greedy. That's both for sure. ideal yeah. and material conditions have set the stage to where those individuals can exist, where a Jeff Bezos can exist, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know why I picked him out there, but yeah, right. I mean, he's a greedy motherfucker, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Yeah, you don't give you a billionaire unless you're greedy, right? Yeah. It's, so yeah, yeah. The point is that we are socialized into existing in that way into into behaving that way we're socialized into being greedy and selfish and once we realize we peel back the layers right and realize that that's not how human beings if given the opportunity will function that should drastically change the way that we think about how we've been socialized how we behave how we treat other people right the political policies that we may uh, support or not support the candidates that we might vote for or not vote for the types of government that we are willing to live under and so forth we really like for me this is one of like the fundamental beliefs in the united states for sure but really in the western world that uh, leads to the most like atrocities that are committed by individuals and governments uh, militaries etc is this belief that human beings are just greedy by nature because it excuses so many things and it's almost embarrassing how kind of schizophrenic we are on that topic like while we are insinuating that the greed and whatnot is a negative trait by needing to have constant enforcement or impose our views or political ideas on other people because they're not smart enough. And if we don't do that, they're going to um, either ruin something or take something from us, like these types of things. Like we're always looking to protect or defend or whatever um, mine, right? Whatever is mine, um, because this is like supposedly a negative thing. And if I'm not doing it, somebody else is going Mm -hmm. to do it. But at the same time, we're talking out of the other side. And this is where the schizophrenic piece comes out talking out of the other side of our mouths those are the treats like those are the traits that we actually admire right that's why yep. we're watching rich people's homes on mtv cribs or worshiping kardashians or electing people because of their perceived business acumen which is obviously an embarrassing joke at this point mm-hmm. but like those are the things that we are like so we actually do we're talking out of both sides of our mouths right there needs to be somebody to check 
greed or violence or whatever on one hand, but we also admire greed and violence on the other. You watch like The Wolf of Wall Street, it's a cautionary tale. Nobody sees it as a cautionary exactly. tale. They're taking yeah. the parts they want from it, right? Yeah, exactly. That's an excellent point. Right. So, uh, yeah, this is one example of like real world evidence, a real story of how human beings when put in certain situations will are, are collaborative will do what they need to survive together and that we are socialized into thinking in terms of greed and protection and property uh, private property and so forth if you're curious uh, much of the accounts of this event uh, these boys being stranded comes from a book by an author rutger bergman and it's titled humankind a hopeful history um, we'll link to that as well he interviewed the captain that rescued them and uh one of the boys that uh survived who's still alive from this uh this event and so he interviews both of them and their accounts and what happened uh so this isn't just like secondhand or whatever he literally talked to uh one of the boys that was on the island and that's how he was able to get such uh, an account of what happened so i know people in the comments uh because the only people that comment ever are what hate what we're saying so that's great uh, but i'm sure we need a bunch of comments about like alphas and betas and like just absolute nonsense bullshit that isn't backed by any sort of evidence whatsoever <laughs> uh so bring that on uh you can find us online revolution and ideology.com um we're on twitter at rev and ideology if you're listening to this in a podcasting app uh subscribe and leave us a rating if you're watching this on youtube like the video subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment if you really really love what we're doing you can support us on patreon patreon.com revolution and ideology thank you thank you thank you to all of our patreon supporters i'm nick i'm jared later